Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. Okay, so joining us on the sales chat show today is Laura McInerney. Laura, you used to be a journalist, as I understand, but now you're in business. How did that change? What what did you do and what are you doing? So that's as much of a surprise to everybody else, I think, uh, and surprise to me, uh, frankly. So, yes, I was, um, first of all, a school teacher in secondary schools in London for about six years. And then through a series of weird incidences, I got taken to court by the education secretary because I'd asked to see some data for a master's project that I was doing. And I stumbled into uh, a bunch of sort of government incompetence, didn't realize it at the time, and ended up at that point transitioning from being a teacher to being a journalist, which was also a total surprise. After two court cases, I did win the documents and we did reveal how uh, it was to do with the free schools project of about 2010 to 2012, how there'd been lots of government incompetence. And so I was then working as the editor of a newspaper called Schools Week and as the Guardian's education columnist when a friend of mine, uh, Professor Becky Allen, came up with the idea of surveying trainee teachers as part of her research project. And she wanted to do this using a phone app because trainee teachers go out into the schools, they're in, on the ground every day, and it's very hard to get a hold of them and find out how they're getting on on a day-by-day basis. And I was busy writing these editorials every week, teachers think this, teachers think that, but really I didn't know. I was looking on social media and texting a few of my mates, but who knows what teachers really <laughs> thought. So I said to her, well, look, is there a way that we could change this, this teacher app that you're going to create for your research project, which at that time had some kind of name like TRAP or something, the Teacher Research Assessment Project or something. Yeah. And we could do it for all teachers. And that way, for news stories every 24 hours, we would be able to get feedback from teachers. Did they agree with a new policy? Did they think teachers should be paid more? And so on. And we called it Teacher Tap because it's the app that teachers tap. There's just three questions a day. They answer them and they get a bit of a reward by having some blogs to read and some badges. And then we just built it in six weeks and launched it, which we didn't really, I don't think we really thought it through, to be honest. (laughs) Like a lot of businesses that that are successful, that that you go back and rethink the, the logic. You know, it's like, how did they name Apple? Well, it was you know, there was no, you know, marketing people will come up with all kinds of, you know, fancy reasons as to why the company's called Apple. But actually, it was just that Steve Jobs had spent the day in an orchard and all he could see in front of him was apples in his mind. And that's how it got its name. So there was no no logic to it and no sense to it. You know, and a lot of businesses, I think, end up, you know, being successful like yours, you know, in six weeks, you've done something with no real kind of, you know, thought or plan other than what you wanted to do and you did it and and that worked well it seems yeah so we we launched it and we got about 500 teachers on at the first event that we launched at which was brilliant and I think we picked a research conference in education so the two things went together well and then from there word of mouth built it up to about 1500 users quite quickly and that's 1500 people on there every single day answering the questions and then after about 
four or five months, we had businesses starting to come to us and saying, could we commission surveys? Could they, um, could they maybe commission us to do a report? Because every week we did blogs from the data. Yeah. And we were like, oh my goodness, we think there's actually a commercial business here and neither of us had any commercial business experience but gradually over time uh, Becky left her job in academia and I left my job as the editor of Schools Week to set this up as a commercial business and we now are hitting around 5,000 daily users which is fantastic and we have you know regularly we work with businesses we're commissioned on reports we're regularly in the media so yeah it's been a strange journey but Thankfully, lots of people along the way have told me stories like the Apple one, although I didn't know that one, and made me feel a lot better about the fact that sometimes you just get on and do it, right? Yeah, I think that's a thing with sales as well. The, the, the people who just get on and do it, uh, rather than sit there kind of worrying about it, probably the ones who do better. Um, you know, action is is often better than sitting there being analytical about everything, I think. Um, so you've now managed to sell your services to, to businesses, and yet that kind of happened more by them finding out about you. But what I thought was interesting was you said that you launched it at a at an event. Mm -hmm. So here you've got a digital product, but you were in a physical real world space to launch it. That's right. And it's funny, we've often considered ourselves as a business that while we use an app, so the app is the main thing. We do have a website as well, but you can only access the questions through the app. There's no other interface. We've never really thought of ourselves as a tech company. Every day what we're doing is giving an experience to the teachers. Now it takes between seven and 15 seconds to answer these questions. And then there's a read at the end of between two and three minutes. So each day teachers only interact with us for maybe three to five minutes. But we've always taken it as a responsibility to think about that whole experience from how they log in to what the questions tell them to whether they go away feeling like they've learned. And for me, it's no different than when I worked many years ago in McDonald's. You know, the product is the fries and the burger, but actually there's an entire experience that you're thinking about and that's true in sales as well and that's something I had to learn because I had no sales experience whatsoever so then when we started working with businesses and they were asking for data that was one thing and I could provide it with them but what I had to learn over time was they weren't really just asking for data that business needed the data for a reason. There was someone who was asking for the data as part of their job and I had to also serve lots of their needs around ensuring that the data would be quality, that they could use it within their organization to talk with other people who might need that data. There's just so much more than that initial product, I think. Absolutely. So there's this whole kind of way that you were picturing as it were not only the the teachers experience with your product but the experiences that your business customers were were going to gain from it as well Absolutely. And I, as a teacher and as a journalist, hadn't really done any B2B sales. So I had never been in the position of being in an organization and purchasing products and services. So I wasn't very good at this, I don't think, at the beginning. Luckily, I knew I wasn't very good. And so I worked with um, Anthony Steers, who calls himself the telephone assassin and he trained me on doing sales calls because I was terrible and wouldn't do them and so he just <laughs> kicked my ass until I got up in the morning and did them yeah. and also as we then purchased um, other services in particular we worked with an organization called uh, Exposure Ninja who helped us with a lot of our initial online marketing and I just learned how good customer service worked in the B2B sector things like 
how clearly people communicated what your expectations could be. Simple things like maybe a weekly call just for two minutes, how important those were to me as a business owner. So then I would try and build back in, okay, when we've got clients, how regularly do we need to touch point with them? Whether that's through the app, whether it's through the website, whether that's through phone calls. That's fascinating, actually, because if you think about both your previous careers are communications careers that you know you you're teaching and journalism about communicating to people and here you are saying that actually in business your sales are dependent upon really good communications and looking after those uh, people you're trying to to deal with it's so do you think that actually your previous careers have prepared you for sales in ways that you probably weren't aware of when you were being either a teacher or a journalist. Definitely. And also I had that thing, um, which I think many people who come into sales, you know, there's some people come in and they love it, but there are other people who get there and get a bit scared of it. I was definitely in that second category. And it took me quite a long time to recognize that it was very similar to teaching and storytelling in journalism. And I just had to look at it in a new way. I had never any problems with my A-level students in encouraging them towards a goal at the end that they may have even been reluctant to go towards. And yet when it came to sales, I was so afraid of even helping or informing the audience because it might seem too pushy. And I think that was just because somehow I'd put a psychological block in there that this was to do with money and products and getting out of that and seeing it as teaching and journalism really did help. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think often it's the fear that prevents people selling, uh, either fear of rejection or fear of being too pushy. But when you look at what people say, you know, who are buyers, especially in the B2B, they want that information. They want the the communication. They want all of the things that you're talking about because that helps them make the right decision as to what they should be buying. Yeah, and that was, so I think having that modeled back to me by really good other B2B businesses and learning what they did that our organization liked was one thing. The other thing that came up over time was the businesses who came to use our data from the app were often people who sold to teachers. So they wanted to ask questions to the teachers about, um, you know, what sort of product they would like. And at first, we were really concerned that if we put those kind of questions on the app, the teachers wouldn't like them or they'd see them as very salesy. What we found was that the teachers loved being asked what features they wanted on a product or how much money they were willing to spend on things because it's quite interesting. You, you, you buy stuff and use stuff all day. No one ever asks your opinion about products. So that was fascinating. And then the other thing was we learned that they just had such different opinions. So quite often an organization was trying to sell into a school. And this is a really classic sales problem, but I think it's a good example. They were selling into the school and it's the teachers who will use the products all day. So you would ask the teachers, which features do you most like? And teachers might pick something that saves them lots of time. But ultimately, the decisions were being made in those schools by head teachers and senior leaders. And so when you asked what the head teachers wanted from a product or a feature, it was often very much just related to price. And so we started to see why a product that was loved by teachers but was very expensive just wasn't getting cut through because for the head teachers and the senior leaders, they were much, much more um, affected by price. And this brought home to me again the fact that 
you don't just need to have sales conversations. You also literally need to have product conversations with people that you're selling to, to find out what really matters to them. A, they love being asked and B, you'll often find quite quirky little things which help you get your product aligned either on price or on features and selling to the right audience. I mean, I feel as if you, you guys probably know this already. It's just for me, it's still really exciting to learn this. <laughs> yeah, but, but what you're saying is it's also, you know, people who listen to the sales chat show, some of them are brand new to sales. And so uh, they're learning the same as you. And I think, we, you know, you're you're making it clear there that the kind of conversation you have with the user of your product or service as a salesperson is different to the kind of conversation you have with the decision maker, the person who's going to, you know, sign that check and and you know press the button to buy. It's, it's two different pieces of communication and two different kinds of conversation. Yeah, and we also find that they're often the same. That they're two sides of the same coin. So teachers want something that will save them time, and head teachers want something that's price efficient. But if you can have the conversation with the teacher about the time-saving aspect, and then with the head teacher, point out that if the teacher is saving time, then they're able to take on another duty, and you maybe don't need to buy in a teaching assistant to put those displays up. You could use the teacher who's now got more time available. Yeah. So for us, it did bring out that there are differences, but you can often, with a bit of logic and sitting down and thinking through what each person needs, you can find a sales line that works for everybody. And that's been really exciting. I can't believe that 12 months on from when I first started sales coaching, I think sales is really exciting. I never <laughs> thought that would happen. <laughs> so you've, you've gone from being a teacher and communicating to a classroom of children to being a journalist to communicating to you know, teachers and those in education who are reading your, your articles to being a salesperson to communicating to all kinds of people who are going to buy your product and services and there's a, a thread running through all of those that it's it's about communication but is there anything you learnt either from being kicked up the rear end by Anthony <laughs> to, to actually get on the phone uh, or anything that you learned that came as a complete surprise other than the fact that this was all the same kind of thing. It's just communicating to the audience in the way they want to, to the things that they want you to talk about. I, possibly the biggest learning was around timelines. So especially when people move, I think, into sales from other industries or other areas, it depends on what you're used to in terms of how long things take. And obviously every product has a different sales cycle. But I've been surprised at if you do stick with a regular routine of phoning people, contacts and touch points, it can sometimes take a really long time for a sale to come through, but it does pay dividends in time. So it's kind of like a sales investment, right? You know, you put five pounds in your bank one August and five pounds the next month and the next month. And a year later, it's all added up. Plus with interest, you've got more than you began with. It's kind of the same with the sales call routine, I think. Getting in and calling, say, two or three people a day doesn't seem like very much, but over time it builds up and builds up and there's a kind of interest and a payoff at the end. For someone who'd come from journalism, that was quite difficult for me to understand. My yeah. timelines had always been 10 seconds or two minutes <laughs> or a maximum yeah. a week on a weekly paper. The idea that you would start these kind of conversations and calls now 
and that come good months and months and months later was a bit weird <laughs> and again I came from fast food as well <laughs> previous yeah. to that so I was used to very immediate calls but it makes sense if I think myself about anything you know why do people continue to put pizza leaflets through the door because in the end one day when you're hungry for pizza you'll remember that they'd kept contacting you yeah. so I've had to constantly shift my expectations between um, you can't put lots of effort in and get lots back immediately but what you probably can do is put in small amounts of effort continuously and over time and that gradually builds up and that's really satisfying. And so uh, here you are a, a year on from starting all of that and the business is uh, successful and going from strength to strength I imagine? Yes, so we've got, as I say, 5,000 daily users now. We've just brought on um, six remote employees who are working with us um, across the UK. Predominantly, we're working with parents who stay at home at least part of their week, and we're trying to look at whether we can do a remote team to get lots of flexible workers. We found lots of people who used to work in sales roles or customer service roles. And then once they have a family, they're unable to make that work. Yeah. And so we're, we're really harnessing the power of those people who are amazing to work on the organization. Um, I've got my co-founder Becky on it full time. And then also Alex Weatherall, who's done the tech, he's on full time. So there's about 10 of us working on this on a day-to-day -day basis. And we just want to grow it now too. I'd love 10,000 users by Christmas. We'll see if we can make that happen. But um, the more teachers that are on it, because it helps them every day with their professional development, I just think if it's free for teachers, it's five minutes of their day. And gradually, like with that sales bank, you just learn for five minutes every day. Over time, that builds up and builds up and builds up. And you gradually get bigger and bigger payoffs. I think that's just really exciting. So... Um there'll be plenty of salespeople who'll be married to teachers, I imagine. So where can, where can their other halves, partners, brothers, sisters, parents find out about your app? So Teacher Tap, and it's tap with two Ps because it's the app that you tap, um, is on the iStore, uh, the iPhone Apple Store. It's on the Google Android Play Store. And we also have our website, teachertap.co.uk. And Teacher Tap Twitter community is quite big. So anyone who's on Twitter, we're at Teacher Tap. And most days there's people on there sharing the results and gasping at the fact that teachers would rather take a million pounds than top exam results, which was one of our findings. We asked them which would they choose. Top exam results for their kids are a million pounds and more than 70% took the million pounds. <laughs> I don't blame them either. Would you take it? <laughs> Yes, I think we all would. <laughs> um, it's been fascinating uh, talking to you. I'm sure we could talk for hours, but we don't have hours. Um, Laura, is there anything else that you think salespeople should know that you've learned over your time uh, doing this? Uh, any any tips, anything that you think is really useful as a salesperson? Um, probably because I've benefited so much from other salespeople helping me. The one thing I'd say is, you know, if you can help other people and you can practice training, teaching, blogging, doing anything to help other salespeople, then I think that's really good practice. And I think it helps people like me. So that's kind of a flip reverse there. I'm not saying what salespeople should do, but if more salespeople took the time to help others, I think they'd get better at their jobs and more and more people would be able to join in as well. And I think it pays dividends in the end to everybody.
That's a fantastic tip. Uh, Laura, thanks very much indeed for talking to the Sales Chat Show. Thank you so much, Graham. You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 